I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome to an autumnal edition of the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. If you've listened before, you'll know that in these fortnightly podcasts we're passionate about gardening and all things green. Each episode is packed with practical seasonal advice, interviews and discussions with people who love plants. We share our thoughts, ideas and research into all aspects of horticulture, from growing potatoes in bags to dog-friendly garden design and the latest developments in slug control. So whether you're a horticultural novice or a veteran, in our podcast there's something to interest everyone. I'm Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturist here at the Royal Horticultural Society. Later on, we'll be meeting some of the members of one of the newest and most exciting RHS community projects based at the Angeltown Estate in London. We'll join them in the RHS Garden Wisley as they take part in a masterclass where experts from the garden reveal the secrets of success with spring flowers. I'll be welcoming them for an afternoon of inspiration as our gardeners show them the wonders of Wisley. Plus, we'll have the latest news on RHS garden events around the country. But first, question time. Each month on the podcast, we discuss a selection of queries sent in by RHS members to the RHS gardening advice team. One of the many benefits of being an RHS member is that you can submit your gardening questions to our advice team by phone, post or email at any time of the year. So let's join my colleagues as they discuss some of the inquiries we've received recently. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt and I'm from the gardening advice team. I'm joined by Guy Barter and Dr Hayley Jones from the entomology team. Kate Wolford from West Byfleet has written to us, I have a serious badger problem. They love my sweet corn and they demolish nets and fences to devour it. I'm at my wit's end. How can I protect my crops? Well, they're quite powerful animals, aren't they, badgers? And it, it's a problem that uh, quite a number of people I know have reported. In fact, one friend, they had a, a greenhouse on their allotment where they couldn't get in through the grass, but they left smeared four paw prints <laughs> down the glass saying that they had tried to make their entry. Yes, they are very strong. And they're also, they really like their kind of paths and routines. So if you put anything in an area that they consider to be theirs, they will go straight through it unless it's 
really quite sturdy indeed. So yeah, most nets and fences just won't stand up to the strength of a badger. And they are particularly fond of sweet corn. So there are repellents that you can buy um, that might discourage them away, but they'll probably just go to another part of the garden. But even that might not be enough to keep them off of sweet corn. So really, the only thing that I can recommend is electric fencing, which might seem a bit extreme, but it's about the only thing that will really discourage them from going through. Guy, have you got any experience with using things like uh, the pig wire, where you get that tougher wire and posts? Well, I'm afraid I have. Um, I come from a, an ancient hilltop town in North Dorset that is surrounded by badger sets. And people have had the greatest difficulty growing sweet corn or carrots or even potatoes unless they build a kind of vegetable fortress. And this usually takes the form of corrugated iron sunk a couple of feet, that's 60 centimetres into the ground. And then pig wire just isn't strong enough for the job. So chain link fencing supported on stout stakes is the only thing to to do. Um, And by building these um, carrot and sweet corn fortresses, it is possible to to bring a crop to fruition. However, um, if you want to use uh, electric netting, there's no problem with that. Any good agricultural merchant will sell it to you and uh, you can get um, solar powered ones now with a battery. Uh, We have found that our battery and solar power things have gone missing here at Wisley, been pinched by someone. So perhaps in an allotment situation where you haven't got good security, you might have to go for the vegetable fortress. Heather Ritter from Grantham has written in to say, I've lots of white Japanese anemones, but I'd like more. Can I divide them? And what might be some interesting plants to complement in the borders? Well, this sounds very much a question for you, Lee. What do you think? Now, Japanese anemones, they're funny things because they can be quite vigorous and invasive and yet really quite difficult to divide and to get to re-establish well. And talking with some of the nurserymen um, over several years, they suggest actually spring is the better time to do this. You know, autumn is generally a good time to divide herbaceous perennials anyway. But with this particular one, it's worth delaying to really late March or early April. And the because she's got a good clump already I take a nice big block with a spade so I'd be looking for at least sort of 30 to 40 centimetres across and try and dig down and get a good sort of spades depth because the more you can take entire the better chance it stands of re-establishing and growing out really quickly and easily so it should be fine should make Um, good root and then you should get some flowers this summer now she also asked what can we grow with it i bet guy will have some thoughts here too Um, but i like things like the geranium roseanne because it's long flowering so it crosses over this flowering season and from about uh, end of june july through to november you get these blue discs with white centers and so it'll complement the white of the anemone Um, To mix it up a bit in terms of colours, then I would use something like Persicaria. This is Bistort, um, and the one called Taurus has particularly dark um, magenta-y flowers, and they come on little wiry stems, and then you get like almost little tiny bottle brushes at the top. But because there's so many of them, uh, you get a real sort of pink hue going through. And again, it'll cross over with that time with the Japanese anemones. The other thing that loves it, um, you get a lot of honeybees coming in to feed on this as well late in the season. 
Have you got any additional things that you like growing with Japanese anemones? Oh, if only I had. I find that Japanese anemones are technically a weed. Um, they grow so vigorously, they squeeze everything out. However, um, there are some things that can be grown nearby that look good. And I was out here at Wisley looking at the borders this morning. And the things that I noticed that our garden staff have been using here include epimediums, which are a wonderful little evergreen ground cover plant, uh, which they plant round and near, that have a great contrast and also look good through the winter. And begenias that um, do much the same and also have tall uh, pink flowers um, at certain seasons. The other thing that mixes in well, it seems, is Astrantia. Astrantia have had their first set of um, flowering this year, but now they're having a second set that uh, contrasts well with its little fluffy, furry flowers that uh, are such a contrast to the discs of the Japanese anemone. Um, often you see hardy fuchsias being grown in the same beds as Japanese anemones, and they too flower with a, a red or white flowers later on in the year. And sometimes um, it's worth trying to slip in some bulbs nearby because the bulbs come up, do their thing like daffodils and tulips um, and die down before the Japanese anemones come up and mask their foliage. So if you want maximum all year round, choose Guy's selection. If you want more autumn display, choose my selection. (laughs) Okay, right. Here's a question from Graham Coulson in Cambridge. How do I make leaf mould? How is it different from compost? Or just mixing leaves into my garden and kitchen waste? Well, leaf mould is ever so simple to make. Um, You stack up leaves and you go away and a year or two later you come back and you find you've got this fibrous-like stuff that um, is very similar to peat. And here at Wisley, our garden staff have numerous enclosures and hidden away in dark corners and Every November they rake all the leaves, throw them into these enclosures and then come back a year or two later and has this wonderful soil conditioner. Um, It's not terribly alkaline, it might even be acid in some cases. It's free of nutrients, um, so it's excellent material uh, for improving the soil without inducing lush growth. Um, And also um, our alpine garden staff have been known to sieve it and mix it into potting compost for certain alpines. So leaf mould is fantastic stuff. However, um, time is short, money is tight, and what a lot of our garden staff do now, which I do myself in my own home, is rake the leaves onto the borders and just leave them to rot down. And uh, that improves the borders under trees and shrubs pretty well too. Sometimes if it's a windy garden, you put a bit of mulch over them, like bark chips, uh, just to hold them in place and stop them blowing down. Now, Technically, leaf mould is made only from leaves. Once you start mixing in other things, and a lot of people, for example, uh, mix in grass cuttings, they might even use the lawnmower to mow the lawn and pick up the leaves at the same time in October and November. Uh, you start getting material that's quite rich in nutrients. So it's not so good for improving the soil for plants that don't like a lot of nutrient. Um, but it is still excellent for ordinary herbaceous borders and for vegetable gardens and general use around the garden. So you've got two choices. Um, you can make leaf mould, which takes the longer than making compost, but is a, a superior quality product for many uses. Or you can compost the leaves with uh, grass mowings or kitchen or garden waste and make more compost, which is excellent for improving the soil uh, for vegetables and fruit and herbaceous borders and other plants that need need lots of nutrients. Uh, The important thing to remember, I think, is that uh, leaves are one of the best and also cheapest uh, ways of making organic matter that's so important for gardens. 
Yeah, I've also had experience with, you know, you saying about getting up the leaves with your mower and also your um, leaf blower or sucker where it's got the shredder inside it. And the only thing I would say about that is even in the bag when I empty it, it's already begun to get hot because you've got that mixture often of quite wet leaves, a bit of grass. So um, if you put it together, then in quite a big heap, you'll get a hot heap going rather than a cold heap, which is often leaves, and therefore you'll get a quicker rot. So for the compost sense, not the leaf mould, it can be quite a good way of uh, processing through those piles of leaves quite quickly. Well, in fact, if you want, if you have a suitable shredder, um, you can put leaves through the shredder. Um, it's quite a slow process, but the chopping up actually vastly speeds up the leaf mould. So you can have leaf mould in a year rather than two years. Alison Bright from Wanstead. I have a north-facing terrace garden with a raised deck area. How can I get some interesting colour in autumn in my pots and containers? So we've got quite a tough area here, Guy, because we're talking about a, a north-facing terrace which is no likely going to be shady and a bit cold as well for this time of year. What would you suggest? Well, I'm a huge fan of mini cyclamen. Um, they tend not to last after the turn of the year, but they're great in autumn. The mini cyclamen are closer to the houseplant cyclamen than the wild ones, um, but they are extremely easy to raise by nurserymen and they're very inexpensive. And you can plant these out from any time from early autumn onwards and they last flowering away um, in quite low light levels, being a woodland plant, uh, deep into the winter until they're finally polished off by uh, January and February frosts. Um, so I, I, I would feel that um, they're a new innovation that has a lot of merit. I'd add to that. I think that they're a good choice. I, I do think on a north-facing terrace, it's worth thinking about it in two phases. So in autumn, you'll get things like the cyclamen and the traditional things like pansies flowering well and you can use those autumn cabbages that last until about Christmas but then a lot of the things will shut up shop flowering as well once we go into December through to February because of the, those conditions so I'd also stick in some uh, evergreens and coloured stems so I'm thinking about things that could be used in containers that are just garden shrubs so the euonymus emerald and gold with that bright green variegation that you can use around things like the, the red stemmed corner siberica um, and you know really bright red vibrant stems that look good in glossy um, even in quite low light levels uh, so it's a way of introducing a bit of plant colour through those stems and foliage without necessarily relying on the flowers which might not come if the weather is, is harsher and colder. Yeah, I think um, you have to remember uh, that no growth occurs really um, in the autumn and winter. So when investing in things with bright stems and evergreen foliage, buy the biggest you can afford or find. You can get some wonderful skimmia that have marvellous red berries, for example, um, which give terrific colour through autumn and winter. The nice thing is about these, if you've got space, is that you can keep them growing in the shade um, until the following year and use them over and over to save you having to buy new plants each year which saves a lot of time and a bit of cash so um, it's well worth investing in large specimen uh, plants for the winter display Guy what's the next question well Holly Downing is um, written in by email and uh, she says what precautions can I take to reduce the number of pests in my garden and greenhouse at this time of year we seem to be home to every creature from aphids to slugs at the moment 
Well, it's a tall order, Hayley. What do you think? Yeah, it's a bit of a big ask. There can be all kinds of things going on that require all different ways of preventing them doing any damage. So thinking about slugs, because that's often a big one at this time of year, the uh, slugs reproduce throughout, throughout the year. And by the time you get to the autumn, most of them have reached adulthood. So they're kind of the big eating machines that, that the biggest they're ever going to be. Um, so they they can do a lot of damage in the autumn time. There's lots of different control methods available, um, various kind of barriers and mulches that can be used to protect individual plants. Um, but the most um, most effective for treating larger areas are either slug pellets or or the nematode biocontrol. Slug pellets come in two kinds, uh, metaldehyde or ferric phosphate, and ferric phosphate is certified as organic. And then the nematode treatment uh, is a microscopic worm that you water in. It seeks out the slugs, enters them through their breathing holes, um, releases the bacteria which kills the slugs, and then the nematodes reproduce inside and then go out into the soil to find more slugs to kill. So that's definitely what I would recommend uh, to treat the garden in general for slugs. Um, Another pest that it's a good time of year to think about treating is vine weevil. The next generation of larvae will be underground at the moment, starting to feed on on the plant roots. Um, and there's for the ground, there's a different species of nematode that you can water in to help control them. And how would people know if they've got vine weevil? What should they look for? So the vine weevil adults eat kind of notches in the sides of leaves. It's usually quite distinctive because of the way it starts at the edge of the leaf and it eats its way in 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 kind of scallop shapes um and then for plants in pots sometimes the larvae will start to um, eat the roots and cause some damage to kind of the health and vigor of the plant but you wouldn't know for sure if you had them without pulling the plant up and looking at what's going on in the roots and are they quite big at this stage what so how would we actually tell the difference between those and perhaps other little grubs in the ground Yeah, so the vine weevil larvae are um, reasonably um, big, like they're definitely visible about a couple of centimetres in size at at their biggest, um, and they're kind of a creamy colour with an orangey red head. What about lawn pests? Is there anything you can do about lawn pests in, in, in this season? Yes, now's also the right time of year to treat lawns for um, chafer grub um, infestation. Chafer grubs are the larvae of um, chafer beetles, which you might know as May bugs or June bugs. Um, and the larvae live underneath um, the grass, nibbling away at the roots, and they can really weaken it and often make it susceptible to being dug up by other animals, such as badgers, that want to get in um, and eat the larvae. Um, the treatment for chafer grubs is is a nematode treatment um, that you have to water into the soil at this time of year. And you kind of have to do it before it gets too cold so that the nematodes can work. But that's really the best way to then prevent damage next year. I presume in greenhouses, the risk is from things overwintering in the structure itself. Um, what sort of things might people come across? So... Um, different types of aphids and whitefly and red spider mites can overwinter in little crevices in the greenhouse. So the best thing to do against those is to clean them down with a kind of a garden disinfectant um, and scrub in all the corners. Um, you can also buy some products um, that can be used as like a gentle fumigation, um, which these days you actually can leave the plants in there while you're doing that um, and that can also help to reduce the number of pests overwintering. 
My father used to spend um, a lot of time in the winter in a sou'wester and a raincoat applying winter wash to fruit trees. What do you think of that? Yes, winter wash can be a good way of treating many of the um, pests of fruit trees, especially aphids. Um, winter wash is something that you um, paint onto the stems and branches of the tree itself. Um, that has to be done when the tree is completely dormant, so when it's got no leaves at all. So not quite yet. We have an email from Greg Fowler. He says, I'd like to grow Romanesque cauliflowers next year. How do I get the best results? Now, Guy, what is a Romanesque cauliflower? Well, Romanesco cauliflowers, or Romanesque here, um, are are a kind of cauliflower, um, but they have a different kind of curd. The curd has many spirals over it, so rather than being a nice smooth cauliflower, it's a much more impressive and statuesque uh, vegetable, and the curds are these um, growths are best described as minarets and it is a remarkable vegetable. We seldom see it in supermarkets, but it's widely sold in farmers markets and such like. It's not an easy vegetable to grow and it doesn't travel well and it's not uh, easy to pack. However, it has got a particular flavour that's between cauliflowers and calabrese and it's well worth growing in my view. Any good seed catalogue will sell you uh, seeds. And there are none that have got our RHS award of garden merit because it's still very much a vegetable in development. However, what you need to do is to sow the seed in April, May or June. It's better, uh, like cauliflowers, to make a sowing every three weeks or so. You don't need many plants because they all tend to mature together. Uh, So five or six plants is wonderful for most people. Uh, Sow them in a cell tray. Uh, That's a seed tray that's got lots of little divisions, one seed per cell. And then as soon as the plant's got enough roots, uh, plant it outside. Ideally, either cover it with fleece or insect-proof mesh or put a disc round the base um, because that will protect it from the dreaded cabbage root fly that was extremely damaging. It needs rich soil, it needs plenty of water and it needs space. And by space, I mean you want to give it about 60 centimetres all round. That's two feet. Um, it'll grow fast and after about say 60 to 80 days after planting out it'll begin to form heads. Uh, Once the head is big enough and fully developed then you can cut it and you cook it just like a cauliflower um, or calabrese. It's got a closer texture than cauliflowers and it's um, got a flavour more similar uh, to calabrese than cauliflower and I need hardly add being a brassica and being green coloured it is highly nutritious. Well, I hope that gives you everything you need to get started with. The RHS Gardening Advice Team. As well as expert advice, another benefit of membership is free entry to all four RHS gardens, plus the opportunity to buy priority tickets to RHS flower shows and events. You can read more about the benefits of becoming a member on our website, rhs.org.uk forward slash join. At this year's RHS Chelsea Flower Show in May, one of the garden features that really grabbed visitors' attention was the RHS Greening Grey Britain for Health, Happiness and Horticulture, designed by Anne-Marie Powell. After the show finished, the garden was dismantled and recreated in the Little Angels Park on the Angeltown Estate in Brixton. It's a truly collaborative community project involving London's Evening Standard newspaper, local people and the staff and volunteers of the RHS. 
A number of the estate's residents helped to build the original garden at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, and the RHS is helping the community learn key gardening skills and techniques to help their garden flourish and to share with their communities. Recently, a group of Angel Town residents travelled to the RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey to meet some of our horticultural experts, taste the fruits of autumn and get some inspiration for future gardening. I'm Lorna, I'm one of the residents that live on Angel Town um, and I was involved in going to the um, Chelsea Flower Show which was fantastic, blew me away um, and now I'm here today again by invitation which is lovely to look at the beautiful gardens I, n- I never even knew this was here, you know, so it's an eye-opener for me um, I love the country, I love flowers and I'm just learning and that's why I'm here today basically to see what ideas that I can have to input into my garden and to input into the whole of Angel Town really. My name's Simon Garty, Uh, I run an organisation called Progress and um, we have been facilitating gardening on Angel Town for nearly a year and a half to two years now. Uh, We are encouraging people from the estate to grow fruit and vegetables and also look after the beautiful Chelsea Flower Show garden that we moved from Chelsea early this year. And using gardening as a well-being tool, a communication tool, and encouraging cultural groups to get more involved with each other. Well, I'm a diploma student here and I'm just starting my second year. My name's Polly Stevens, and um, I'm just working over in Herbaceous at the moment but we rotate around every five weeks around the gardens. Um, and so I got involved with Angel Town when they did the original planting. And then we thought it would be nice if they could come over here and learn a bit more about how to look after the garden. And then also we ended up going back again to kind of give them a bit of a plan for how to look after the Angel, Down, Angel Town area. Um, yeah, so it's just kind of an ongoing dialogue between us and them, really. So if they need any help with anything, then we can offer it. But mainly it's them looking after the garden and then we just pop down here and there and then maybe we'll go back um, next year and put some more plants in yeah so we've got all of our kind of soft fruit collections here yeah um going through to our model fruit areas and we've got a vegetable garden as well um in a few years time we're actually going to have a brand new kitchen garden up up here on on top of the hill so uh that's really exciting as well yeah so uh, just a productive growing area so vegetable garden but we'll have fruit in and herbs and all sorts of other things so everything you can use in the kitchen really we're going to connect it up to a cafe as well so that that it's uh it's all Fresh. about, you know, if you're going to grow stuff to eat, you might as well eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds obvious. But oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, yeah, watch this space. There'll be lots going on. But, yeah, enjoy your wander around. Help yourself. Thank you have you. my permission. <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. Oh, my gosh. You feel like you're in heaven here. It's just fruit. Okay, I am now going to taste a May Queen apple. Oh, that's lovely. It's very white inside and it's very, very sweet. <laughs> very juicy. Best apple ever. I honestly think it's amazing. The most apple cheese I've seen in my life. I mean, the amount 
of vegetation that's going on around me. It's ridiculous. Look, the trees, they've trained the trees to grow in a certain way. I've never seen nothing before in my life like that, you know? Um, hi, I'm Joshua Hamaya. I work with Simon Garfi um, for Progress, which is a, it's a volunteer-based company, but we do a lot of gardening and horticulturalist stuff. Vegetables mainly, not really a lot of fruits. we got um, tomatoes, carrots, potatoes, um, we got herbs so like rosemary, thyme, sage. We have everything because I'm a chef also, I'm qualified chef. So I like cooking, you know, the food that I've grown. Because before I would just cook and it's nice, but from I'm, I grew the pumpkin or whatever it is I've grown, it, I just feel that that is my dish because I made it. You know, I grew it to the time. You know, so I enjoy what I do. I mean, it does take a while, but you see the you see the progress of your own plants and your own vegetables. So you know, I mean, you 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 could just see your progress. I mean, every other week we're harvesting. We got tomatoes all the time. We just harvest a chard. I mean, chard just grows whenever really. So and spinach, perpetual spinach, and that just grows as much as it, you cut it down and keep growing. The seeds that I collected was from pretty flowers. I mean, stuff that's flowered really nicely. So. I wouldn't mind planting that in Angel Town, even in my garden, because, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, nature just calls to me, you know. I mean, I like, I like working with what comes out of the earth, you know. I feel like I did that. The Angel Town Estate Gardeners at Wisley. You can find more information and photos of the project and the garden on our website, rhs.org.uk forward slash angeltown. As Halloween and Guy Fawkes Night rapidly approach, there are plenty of garden events for visitors to celebrate these autumnal festivals. Here are a few events taking place over the coming weeks. It's time for a taste of autumn at Wisley. Backed by popular demand, the orchard is laden with fruit and the garden is awash with colour. Come and enjoy the quality food, drink and displays from the 19th to the 23rd of October. Enjoy our Animals of the Night activities this half-term at Rosemore from the 22nd to the 30th of October. So whether you want to weave a willow spider or make finger puppets, come and join us. Most activities are free for visitors. Celebrate the best of the season at our Shades of Autumn show in the Lindley Hall, London on the 28th and 29th of October. Tickets are free to members and £6 in advance to non-members. Join us for an autumn-themed weekend packed with demonstrations, activities and stalls at Hyde Hall on the weekend of the 5th and 6th of November. There will be opportunities to watch chainsaw carving, try your hand at archery and more. Full details of all events are on our RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. Well, that's all we have time for this month. We'll be back in two weeks when we'll be talking to the newly appointed RHS ambassador, Baroness Floella Benjamin, about her lifelong passion for gardening and special fondness for roses and aces. Until then, from me, Guy Barter, and all the podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. 
With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.